The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. There's a famous scene from Indiana Jones where he's walking through kind of a cave and he's trying to figure out how to escape with his life and he quotes a verse to himself and it causes him to bow down and he misses uh, a, a trap and it saves his life and Indiana Jones says, God has shown all people what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And it was Micah 6.8, the verse that he quoted as he bowed down, that really, in that scene of that movie, saved his life. But we're not here to talk about adventure movies. We're here to talk about the Word of God. And today we're going to get into Micah, uh, one of the minor prophets with some incredible, incredible timeless truth. And Bert, I am thoroughly enjoying our trip through prophets, kings, and kingdoms. Uh, I thought I knew the Word of God, but I'm going to tell you, we've come across many a, a golden nugget, haven't we? We have, and we've gone through most of these, uh, well, really every one of them, at some point in time in the past on Exploring the Word, but we're taking a bird's-eye view of the man and the book. Now, when it comes to some of the men, we don't know much about them except their names, where they were from. Uh, some of them, we have a difficult time even knowing exactly when they prophesied. But Micah is a man that we love, and there's so much here in Micah. You've already done uh, one of those verses. Another one that I love is chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you? I just love that question. Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage. Mm. Alex, who is, there's no God like our God, is there? No, there is no God like our God. And, you know, Micah is is not a, a huge book, but there's just so much rich content in there. And I would say that in just these, these uh, chapters, probably the most famous, I'm going to guess, the most famous verse in Micah, um, what would you say if you had to guess maybe and that Micah six eight that I mentioned is is big, but there's one even before I that. I would say so. Five two. Yes. And, and Amen. It, I, listen, I think it it's it's like a pinnacle sticking up. And uh we find it discovered again over in the uh, in the book of Matthew in the New Testament. Uh somebody found that to help those wise men on their journey, didn't they? Uh, exactly, exactly. Uh, Micah five two, which I always think about that at Christmas, and when when we sing that famous Christmas carol by Phillips Brooks, "O little town of Bethlehem," I think about Micah five two. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Now this little town. That is, oh, I don't know, five to ten miles away from Jerusalem, uh, out of Bethlehem would come, yes, the one who is from ancient times, from everlasting, the baby Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, as Micah 5 2 prophesied. But let's get in here. There's so much. Um, let me say, because we're just sort of doing 
very, very brief overviews, and, and our hope is that it kind of whets your appetite that you'll want to go and read. But Micah, about a third of the book exposes sins of the people. About one-third of the book has a warnings about God's judgment and God's punishment, and about one-third of the book is about the hope of redemption and restoration after the punishment and the judgment of God. And Bert, isn't this a theme we've come across in all of these prophets? While there are stern condemnations of sin, as there should be, but there's always redemption, forgiveness, even restoration for the ones who will turn back to Christ. It is true, Alex. And, but in Micah, you have more space given to the promise and the restoration than the average one. You know, a lot like Amos is loaded with condemnation and judgment. And then you get a part of the last chapter to give that hope. But in Micah, you have interspersed hope. Uh, not just in these chapter four, you know, and five, but you have it all through. Even in the judgments, there's that uh, hope that is given even after that. So Micah, I would say he was a prophet of hope, even in the midst of judgment. And again, I think that's what what we have here. Without the judgment of God. Uh, we'd be in difficult place. Uh, the psalmist said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. So mm-hmm. the affliction of, of believers, the affliction of even lost people finding themselves undone uh, helps them to turn to the Lord. So God even uses judgment in redemption. You, you see what I'm talking about, Alex? Yeah, well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we had a caller who asked about hope and grace within the Old Testament. Is grace strictly a New Testament concept? And Micah is a case in point that, no, there is the grace of God, uh, the, the, the favor of God, the mercy of God, even in the Old Testament. Hey, let me read something here. Um, you know, Bert, um, it's been said that Micah would have been a contemporary of some other pretty famous biblical yeah, figures, yeah. one of whom is Isaiah. Um, Micah would have lived during the time of Isaiah. And one thing I've always loved, um, Isaiah 64, where it says, uh, O Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down here. Lord, that you would open the heavens, come down here, and the mountains would tremble in your presence. Well, you read in Micah chapter 1, Um, you know, listen, all peoples of the earth, may the Lord bear witness against you. The Lord comes forth from his dwelling place, treads the high places of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys will split apart like wax before fire, like water rushing down a slope. In a way, the wording of Micah chapter one, um, a little bit sounds reminiscent of some of the, the, strong preaching of Isaiah 64. It does. And and what you need to know, Micah was preaching concerning Jerusalem, mostly all of Judea, a little bit of Samaria, but mostly of Jerusalem. And where he was from, he was at least from a rural area that that Morsheth, the days uh, there, it's about 25 miles further south. It's close to Philistia, and it's an agricultural center there. And so like Amos, we don't know if what Micah's vocation was, but he comes from that, but he has an awareness of people. 
Now, Isaiah would really speak to the issues of the day, you know, and uh, but Micah, this this same time period, he speaks to the people and the hurts and the pains of quote the common people. He really, I, I think, is the promise of the prophet of the common people because he talks about the sins that the priest, the prophets, the judges are bringing on God's, you know, these people, and he's saying you're not going to go unpunished, you know. There's, there's going to come that time when you'll stand before God. But it does remind you of Isaiah in so many ways. Uh, just like we were talking about Micah chapter 5, verse 2 about Bethlehem. Uh, look how much Isaiah has to say about the birth of Christ. And so I, I would agree with you fully, Alex, that Micah and Isaiah uh, have, have a good bit in common, although Isaiah is much bigger and much more poetic but yet at the same time, they are hitting what needs to be hit for the people of God to hear and correct. Uh, well, amen. And by the way, folks, if you're just tuning in, this is Exploring the Word with Bert and Alex. We're so honored that you're listening. We're in the Old Testament book of Micah. And of course, later on in the show, in just a few moments, we'll get to your questions. Uh, but uh, join us if you can turn to Micah. Bert, listen to this in, in chapter 1. Um, okay, the judgment of God, going to run down the mountainsides. Okay, verse 5. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble in the open field, a planting area for a vineyard. And it goes on, talks about idols, carved images being smashed to pieces. Uh, here's the thing. You know, what is the transgression of Jacob is not like Samaria. In other words, you're no different than these pagans out here, you know. Um, nowadays, we might say something, well, that's a regular, you know, that's like Las Vegas or something, you know. Um, comparing, comparing Jerusalem and Jacob to Samaria, that was not a compliment, was it? It was not. And again, it even gets into verse 10 when it's going over that and he turns most of his tension in verse 9 all the way to Judah. Again, Samaria, which is the northern kingdom, is talked about just a little bit when you see the word Samaria, and it is the northern kingdom, but Jerusalem, the southern kingdom that they're talking about. But in verse 9, notice, for her wounds are incurable, for it has come to Judah. It has come to the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. And listen, as tell it, not in Gath, weep not in Beth Aroth, roll yourself in the dust. All the names of these people, again, uh, Alex, as you just said, there should be a difference in the people of God. And the closer you are to the Lord, the greater difference there should be. So he is comparing Jerusalem to these, and he's saying there's not that difference that there needs to be. The New Testament makes it plain. We're to come out from among the heathen and be different, says the Lord. Uh, we're, we're to be like Christ. They were first called Christians because they were like Christ. And so the judgment comes up in two ways. Their actions which betray their identity. You catch what I'm saying? In other mm -hmm. words, their identity should be God. We are God's people, but their actions betrays that. They're more like the world. 
So relating it to us today, when we examine our faith, which, which way are we going? Are we going the way of the world? Do we think more like the world? Uh, and you always talking about the, uh, the biblical worldview. You have a, a secular worldview or a biblical worldview. Uh, your thoughts, your actions give way to your identity, does it? doesn't it? it? Bert, that is such a good observation. It really does. It really does. Uh, because we can say whatever we want to say, but the question is, how, how does our life measure up? I've said this a number of times that in my home state of North Carolina, if you go to the Capitol, where around about fourth or fifth grade, we would always make that trip up to the Capitol, and in the floor of the Capitol is the, the state motto, and anybody listening from North Carolina will know it's a Latin word, esse quam videri, and it's to be rather than to seem. Oh, wow. And I was a little kid, and I thought, well, what in the world does that mean? I pondered on that. Well, look, anybody could seem like a Christian, but the thing is to be a Christian. You could masquerade like you're somebody's friend, but the best, better thing is to truly be somebody's friend. And so in the Christian life, and certainly in the hearts of these prophets, look, don't just claim that you're the people of God. Live like you are the people of God. Am I right? You are right on. And and what they did, especially coming to chapter 2, they were yeah. filled with greed. The whole idea is they were wanting power. Listen to verse 1. Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds at morning light. They practice it because it is in the power of their hand. Man, that's a sermon. What are you doing with what God's given you? What What power? Are you using it selfishly or toward God? Hey, we're going to be back with more of the prophet Micah. You want to hear more. The best is yet to come. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Jerry Gidner, director of the Bureau of Trust Funds Administration at the Department of the Interior. His office manages American Indian financial assets of trust beneficiaries. 1 Corinthians 4.2 reminds us of the quality of a good steward. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Jerry Gidner in his stewardship role at the Department of the Interior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. In Revelation 3, God told the church at Laodicea that he wished they were either hot or cold, not lukewarm. Dr. Tony Evans has some advice about how we can add some degrees to our own devotion. He'll share it with us as we spend two minutes with Tony. Mercury is very hot. All the time, it's red hot. That's because of its proximity to the sun. Pluto is very cold. It's always cold because of its lack of proximity to the sun. Now, we live on planet Earth. That's hot and cold because it's seasonal. And because it's seasonal, based on its turning, sometimes it's hot, sometimes it's cold. The problem with God is he has seasonal saints. 
They'll turn to God in this season and turn away from him in another season. See, they're seasonal saints because they rotate on him. And he's looking for ongoing proximity. If the life is not opened up, God is not going to share his power. So your pursuit of intimacy, which means exposure to the Lord, is critical for power. So anything you're hiding from him is limiting power from him. Time in his presence, time in his word, that must be the goal. You say, but I don't have time. Well, you always have time for what's first. You can't use that as an excuse, especially if you call for him for power. So anything you're hiding from him is limiting power from him. Learn other principles that can strengthen your connection with Christ. Check out Tony's CD series, Igniting Kingdom Prayer, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. back to Exploring the Word. Bird and Alex with you. We're in the book of Micah, but before we continue in our study, how about Operation Christmas Child? It's mm. some of the best time of the year. You know that song, Christmas is the greatest time or best time of the year? Part oh, of yeah. the best time of the year is the best thing to do at the best time of the year, and that's pack a shoebox. Uh, Operation, Operation Christmas Child. These are exciting days when you are able to do that and promote that, isn't it, Alex? Well, it is. And, Bert, you know, the thing that means so much to me is that these shoeboxes go around the world, and they take the gospel. And, you know, a lot of people may or may not know this, but they, those boxes are prayed over. And I want to tell you, if some of you, if you've ever been down to Charlotte to where they pack the shoeboxes, I mean, Samaritan's Purse has a great facility, and every shoebox— for a boy or a girl, they've got, you know, some gifts and a toy and some items like toothpaste or something, but they've always got the Word of God and the Gospel. And a lot of those shoeboxes, Bert, they go where missionaries can't even go. You bet. And you just talk about being prayed over. Now, listen to this. It's probably triple or quadruple. Uh, the people who usually pack them, uh, I know, would pray for them. Then they take it to the church. They pray over them. And then they take it to a collection place, they pray over them, and then they send them to Boone or the bigger areas, and they pray over them. So they are prayed over again and again and again. And so no wonder so many are being saved through Operation Christmas Style, just not the children. But what about the families of the children, Alex? They're reached as well. Oh, they really are. And in fact... Uh, we, Angie and I have been at several things. In fact, just a few months ago, Franklin Graham spoke in Greensboro, and there were some testimonies of folks that had been uh, saved as children through Operation Christmas Child, some of whom now work for Samaritan's Purse, many of whom had stories of how uh, the gospel would come to a family or maybe even to a village. And so it is a great thing. We're honored to say a good word for Operation Christmas Child and Bert, I remember, I don't know, I guess it was 15 or 20 years ago when it was kind of a new thing almost, and 
Um, not everybody had heard about it, but I, I really think those green and red shoeboxes have to be one of the most recognizable things on the planet. I agree. I agree. And uh, isn't it special? You know, we're going to get to Micah 5 in just a minute, but really the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Savior, is the focal point of world history. Preach it, brother. Amen. I, I mean, nothing— um, leaders rise and fall, nations come and go. The the pinnacle of history, everything that's ever gone on on planet Earth and the, to the human race, it all comes down to a stable in Bethlehem where they said, here is born the Son of God. And, and we would say this to everybody listening, look, folks, uh, Bert and I, either one of us could get off on a tangent at the drop of a hat Here's what we're trying to say to you. Jesus is real. Jesus loves you. And maybe today is your day to come to Jesus to be saved. Maybe today you need to come back to Jesus. But he's as close by as a prayer, the most important thing you'll ever do. In fact, your very eternity depends on this. Open your heart. Just even right this minute, say, Lord, come into my life. Dear Jesus, forgive my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. Lord, I need you. Bert, if somebody just cried out and said, Lord Jesus, I need you, he would hear that. He, he does. And it, you say, well, I didn't say the exact words. Have you ever noticed God listens to the heart? You know, I, I've heard people say, well, I didn't say those exact words. And I said, let me just tell you, words is not what it is. It is your heart that leads to those words. And what was it? And if you need help, other than more than what Alex and I say, there's a number you can call, 888-NEED-HIM. 888-NEED-HIM. Give them a call. They're our partners. We love them. And they will help you to come to a full understanding of what it means to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And I pray you would do that. Alex, mm. Micah does get to that because he does talk about the judgments. Let me just give this overview real quick because I do want to get to the restoration because most of the ones we've been talking about lately, Amos and Obadiah, they've majored on judgment. But Micah has a lot to say about hope and restoration. I want to get to that today because that's what we've just done. But chapter 2 talks about the judgment, and it's talking about false teachers or prophets in verse 6 through 11. And then it talks about the future restoration. Like I said earlier, uh, Micah intersperses the hope right in the midst of the judgment. And then over in chapter 3, verses uh, 5, he talks about the judgment of the prophets. Uh, notice what it says. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray. Isn't that a horrible testimony? Prophets that make God's people stray, Alex? Uh, oh, man. That's a hideous statement to make, isn't it? But well, it's a it, true it statement, really yeah. Uh, well, it, it really is. And, you know, sadly, there are false teachers even today that rather than point people to God and his word, they lure people away from God and his word. And so uh, let me tell you, it's going to be severe for the liberal preachers that have, you know, um, pushed people away from God rather than drawn people to God. But there look, there have always been false teachers, but I want to say there are true teachers that, uh, that teach the truth, and we want to be one of them. Uh, let me, like let me do one more thing, and then I want you to take it away and bring us to four and five for sure. But look, if you would, at chapter four, 
verses, uh, verse 11, because it gets all three of them together, that severe judgment, those that are wrong. And when these are wrong in a society, in a community, I always want to tell you, a destruction is, it will follow. Verse 11, yeah. her heads judge for a bribe, there's judges, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. Alex, that's corruptness from top to bottom in the social order, in the religious order. It's corruptness, isn't it? Well, it is. It is. You know, back in chapter 3, he said, but as for me, I'm filled with the Spirit of God. And that's what we need to be. There's there's warnings about the city being trampled to rubble at the end of chapter 4. There's warnings about the people being broken apart like the hooves of horses, being trampled and broken down. Um, but there's this promise out of Micah 5 of a ruler coming out of Bethlehem. Now, you got to understand the, these prophets, they speak to the near and they speak to the not yet. Yeah. They had a word for the people of the time that would read this, but they also had a word for the ultimate, you know, expanse of time and history. Because, you know, um, when it's talking about, um, you know, O oh, daughter of troops, mobilize your troops for a siege is laid against us. Uh, this is Israel has seen so much, or Jerusalem, really. Bert, have you ever read any of the times, like, throughout history, the several thousand years of the existence of the city of Jerusalem? I think I read that something like one out of every 11 or 12 years, they had been under some kind of war. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it has. That, yeah. the, you know, which is ironic, of course, that the city of peace, Jerusalem, really, the city of God's peace would see so much war. But it says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, uh, this small little town out of Bethlehem is going to come a ruler, a ruler for my people Israel. And, of course, peace will come with the one who is called the Prince of Peace. Micah 5 talks about that he would be a shepherd for his flock. His, he, would, he would be strength. His name would be Majestic. They will dwell securely. His greatness will extend, literally eclipse the earth. He is our peace against in enemies and invaders. Now, Bert, when I read all this, of course, the big thing that stands out is Bethlehem. But you read about this, a ruler, he's from eternity. Um, I'm, I'm reading, and I, I see Jesus in this. Amen. What, what you would do to help you to understand that, after you read chapter 2, go through and look for the pronoun he. It's going to come up quite often. Now, again, as Alex said, it intersperses in this, that, that which is immediate and that which is ultimate, that which is near and that which is far that which is an individual, and that which is a group, like verse 7, the remnant of Jacob. But notice the pronoun he, and uh, it really will give you the understanding that this is Messiah. This is Jesus. Let's look at that. I can't help. You know I'm going to see a contrast, a word of contrast. Notice it says, They shall strike the judge of Israel, this is verse 1, with a rod on the cheek, but you, Bethlehem. In other words, you, you, there's going to be something different coming out of you. And, and the whole idea, let's talk about Bethlehem just for a second. 
though you're little among the thousands of Judah. Bethlehem. I mean, Alex, when you think of the things that took place there, it is a sermon series, not just a sermon. Uh, you know, Ruth and Boaz, the, you know, uh, David, Jesus, again, this house of bread. And, and so it's little, but out of that little, the, it changes the world. It shall come from you, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. Okay, sounds a little bit like in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Sounds like from beginning to end. It's Him, isn't it? It, it is. It is. And, of course, that's part of what makes uh, Jesus unique is that He is eternal. I mean, just when He was born in Bethlehem, held in the arms of his mother, a newborn infant, and yet he was infinitely older than Mary and Joseph because in the life of Jesus, you've got eternity and proximity. You've got divinity and humanity. That's why Jesus is unique, two natures in one person, but in complete harmony. But in Micah 6 and 7, you know, uh, here's this case against Israel. Uh, the Lord says, Arise, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. O mountains, the Lord's indictment, you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people, and he will argue it against Israel. Mm. Bert, uh, when God uh, has a case against you, when, when, when God files a lawsuit against you, you're in trouble. You're right. You know? Yeah, it's God's courtroom. Notice this. Yes. Uh, and, and again, those of you that like to do Bible study and do a message, look at Micah 6 and, and 7 and do it like it is, because that's exactly it. He sets it up like a courtroom. Yes. Now, what's important about this, you got to relate it back. You remember that verse I read about the judges taking a bribe? This right. judge can't be bribed. You, you catch Amen. it? And, and he saves this for the last two chapters that this case this uh, has come against him. The, the complaint has come strongly against them. And so it's against his people. And, and so this is a courtroom, and the evidence is given, Alex. The evidence is given. The pleas are made. You know, in a courtroom, you have the pleas. You have mm -hmm. that, which is the presentation, against the evidence. And so here you have uh, the setting is a courtroom, and it's right. God's courtroom. And it, you can't be bribed. Guess what? No evidence will be hidden. All the right. evidence is out. And L go yeah, ahead. And let me throw something out here. Look at verse 9 of, of Micah 6. Heed the rod and the one who ordained it. Okay, what is the rod? Well, it's God's law and God's judgment. Um, when you honor moral boundaries, you're honoring the one who gave those moral truths. When, when you live, and I know there are the laws of man, but written on every heart is the law of God, and we're living in a time of great lawlessness. But look, when you obey the moral law, you're acknowledging the moral lawgiver. On the flip side, speaking of Micah 6, if you won't heed the rod, you're not heeding the one who gave it. Do you see there's a connection between the way you live and your acknowledgement of Almighty God? Amen. 
you come to chapter 7, verse 7, I wanted to get to it as well. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. This is it. God knows. Even after this case is presented, after this case is shown that we are guilty, here it comes. I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Alex, that is truth. And when, that's the reason Micah is so filled with hope. And and he goes on. Notice we're talking about that judicial case. Look at verse 9. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes mm. justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light, and I'll see his righteousness. We, is that not redemption that, uh, that Micah is referring to, that God wants to do that final salvation he wants us to be delivered amen yes he loves the bible says he delights to forgive and restore and so let's turn to god you know who is a god like you who pardons iniquity passes over the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance who does not retain his anger forever because he delights in loving devotion. Um, Bert, these these verses are so tender. And when it talks about that he will shepherd his people, let me say this. God wants you to be one of his, and you can be one of his. You're born into his family the minute you put your faith in Jesus. And oh, goodness, Bert, why would anybody delay? Why would anybody turn away from the the arms of a loving Savior? We hear about the judgment of God, but he's a savior, isn't he? He is. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. That's what he does. When you come to him in faith, he takes care of you. That number that you need to call is 888-589-8840. We'd like to hear your Bible question. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training. Here's another of our core values. We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God, and our role is that of a trusted manager. Thank you for standing with AFA as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. Hello, my name is Todd Friel. I am the host of Wretched Radio, heard right here on American Family Radio from 10 p.m. till midnight Central Standard Time. Not to brag, but Wretched Radio from 10 p.m. till midnight is the single best Christian radio program on American Family Radio at that time period. That's right. We hope that you'll join us Saturday night. See for yourself from 10 p.m. till midnight for Wretched Radio on American Family Radio. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. According to a recent study published by the Christian Post, 76.3% of all abortions are obtained by, quote, God-fearing women, unquote, with 68.7% who identified themselves as Christian women and 18% of all abortions obtained by self-described born-again or evangelical women. A corresponding CareNet study found that many women with unplanned pregnancies go silently from the church pew to the abortion clinic, convinced the church would gossip rather than help. America's greatest need is repentance. 
when the hearts of the American people turn to God, everything else will be impacted. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 5, the Bible says, Love does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. A desk clerk at a hotel sort of became a punching bag for people unhappy with their rooms. When they had a complaint, they were just rude and unkind to him. So he put up a big mirror behind the desk. And when people began to see what they looked like being rude, they tended not to be as rude. Because rudeness doesn't look good on anybody. Love is never arrogant, boastful, or rude. Rude words can ruin our testimony. So every day, breathe a prayer and ask God to help you be patient and kind. Love always considers others as more important than ourselves. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 830 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. In Him we were also chosen as God's own, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything by the counsel of His will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be for the praise of His glory. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. American Family Radio. Nobody but Jesus. It is all about Jesus, and that's what our show is about, exploring the Word. No matter what text we're in, we take it to Jesus. Hey, folks, we're going to open up the phones and have Bible questions. If you have a Bible question, we would be very, very honored to hear from you, and the number is 888-589-8840, Call us with your Bible question, and while um, we get the the phones up there on the computer. Bert, I wanted to tell everybody, I'm looking at the website of The Cove, uh, C-O-V-E, thecove.org. That's the Billy Graham Training Center, just one of the finest conference centers uh, anywhere. Oh, it's beautiful. And if you've ever been to The Cove, uh, you know what I'm talking about. But I'm going to be there next uh, July, 8 through 10. And I'm going to be doing the book of First Peter. And I'm looking at the the screen here, Bert. There's so many great people. Chip Ingram and uh, Will Graham. Oh, my goodness. Neil Anderson is going to be there. And uh, Gary Chapman of the Five Love Languages. This is all all next year. Crawford Loritz, Vody Bauckham, a lot of great people. But I would ask you to pray about coming to the Cove for the seminar I'm going to do July 8 through 10. Jesus Christ, the hope that lives, the hope that lasts. And it might be a Christmas gift. And you know what, Bert? Listen to this. The Billy Graham Ministry. It's free to attend the Cove. Now, now you have to to get yourself there, and you have to pay for lodging, but the seminar doesn't cost anything. And so um, check out their website, which is thecove, T-H-E-C-O-V-E, thecove.org, and you'll see the schedule. And, you know, every summer when I go, and it's been my privilege to go, I don't know, 15 years at least. Um, 
90, 90% of the attendees are, are listeners to Exploring the Word. Uh, we have a good time, don't we, Bert? I'm telling you, it's a beautiful place. Alex does a great job. And I want to tell you, there's no book in the Bible more relative to our time than First Peter. And yeah. uh, let me just tell you, it is ready. So I know Alex do a great job. Real quickly, I want to tell you, if you want to start seeing some of the uh, programs on AFR, you can go to AFR.net and look about the AFA streaming. Some of the programs are already live streaming, and they're not dependent on on other, uh, you know, sources to get the word out. We have built our own. And so you can do that by going to AFA.net and look at the streaming. And there's limited access for everyone, but there's greater access for those that become a great commission partner. And you can find more about that at AFA.net. Well, let's go to the calls. We got people lined up. We're going to try to get to as many as we can. And we go to Oklahoma. Is it Joshua? Uh, yes, sir. Go ahead, Joshua. Love the name Joshua. Go ahead, man. Joshua Aaron. So. Oh, man, son. You, uh, you got a lot to live up to. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. No pressure. Uh, well, I'm I'm hoping this is still in y'all's wheelhouse, but I've got a, a sister-in-law who's recently come out as, as a non-binary, I, I'm not sure, lesbian, non-binary, uh, and, uh, you know, giving us her pronouns and all that. Uh, mm. And we've, we've basically, we've tried to be kind of, at least accepting if if not uh just completely capitulating all that uh but i've also i'm familiar with the statistics that suggest stuff like you know uh, uh recent trauma and abuse and, and stuff like that in their childhood uh, of lgbt folks uh and i've just recently uh found out that they they at least were my wife and and uh and my sister-in-law they were at least exposed to uh, and a relative who who was uh, I don't know how to put it just has been known to uh, to abuse children and it was at their age yeah so it's uh, so it's not anything proof but how uh, I was hoping for advice on how to try to or if I even should bring up this this question or in, in a conversation or anything to to talk to my sister-in-law uh, and I've already discussed it brought up uh, ask questions with the wife. But I'm just wondering about how to bring it up with the, the LGBT sister-in-law. Okay, thank you, Joshua mm. Watt. I, I want to make a statement here. That has been and still is the main reason. But now the LB, LGBTQ uh, environment is welcoming people, whether they had those issues or not. That's that's what it's become like if. A, a little boy or a little girl, something have different things that they like that is not quote in a standard. Oh, there, there must be. So it's it, it's off the chart what's happening. But on this one, I think the answer, Alex. I want you to take it away and answer as well as we can. Uh, make sh- that relationship that you have with her. You got to do two things. Make sure that that relationship, that it is straight as best you can and know, and then realize that relationship may be dropped for a while after doing that. Just understand that. But you'll have to say, will I count the cost and say it's worth me trying to help her? Alex, take it away. Mm. 
Well, our heart goes out to you, and I God bless you for caring and for wanting to stand up for truth. Because, Bert, there's an article today on the Christian Post. Fred Jackson just sent it to me. Christian Post is a very respected um, trend-setting magazine, and they say that 30% of millennials, one out of three, uh, are confused about their sexuality and may may identify as transgender. I mean, now, God doesn't make people that way. This is indicative, I firmly believe, of the breakdown of the family, our hypersexualized culture, our society that has become so permissive, and our educational systems that have just embraced life-destroying lies. So, clearly, we're in a spiritual battle. I want to recommend a resource that I think would be very helpful. And like Bert said, sometimes when you speak truth, even in love, uh, sometimes there could be a little breach of the relationship for a while because Bert, sometimes they, they chafe and they push back against truth. But Restored Hope Network, Restored Hope, these are some friends and colleagues, very trusted, Dr. Michael Brown, Ann Park, James Dobson, those are the names you're going to find at that website. But there's a plethora of good resources at just Google Restored Hope Network. And uh, one last thing, folks, check out the the film in his image. Um, Bert, I don't say this lightly, that is a piece of art that the American Family Studios has produced. And you, it's, air, it's free streaming right now, and you can get it free in his image. And uh, listen, it is worth it. It is well done. It is, it, it is re, it's redemptive, okay? It, it is. That, that's the whole idea. Most of the folks that want, oh, it's condemnation. It is, yes, it is telling you the truth, but it is redemptive. Joshua, we're going to pray for you. Father, mm-hmm. I pray for Joshua right now. God, that you... Thank you for putting it on his heart. Thank you for loving uh, his sister-in-law. I think many of us are in the same boat as Joshua with with our uh, family relations. It may not be the same issue, but there's issues there, and we don't know where to go. We don't know how far to push. God, this is your business. You love them. And if you use Joshua in this way, may he have a spirit of uh, of courage, but a, a spirit of humility and a spirit of love. Use him, and Father, may this sister-in-law turn from the way she's going and turn to you. We pray this, believe this, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Joshua. Let's go to Louisiana and talk to Randy. Randy, welcome. Hey, guys. Yes, welcome to the program, Randy. Uh, your show is just awesome. I just love to hear all the different questions and answers and things I've never heard of before, so it's just great. Uh, one thing I've been wanting that's been bugging me is Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to get in the eye of the needle. What is the eye of the needle? <laughs> Good mm-hmm. question. That's a, one of the best questions, and I've asked that some. Alex, either way, I, I, there's two things. I want to do it real quickly because you want to answer it. One, people think it's a real needle and a real camel. In other words, with man, it is impossible. There's another 
idea that in the walls of Jerusalem, there was a place where you could come in, and it was named the eye of the needle, and a camel, for it to get through, had to get down on its knees, had to unload any kind of burden that it had, anything it was carrying, and crawl through humility on its knees to get to the other side. Either way, Randy, here's the idea. Either which way that is, and I I have my thoughts. I'm not even going to tell that. I have my thoughts, which I think it is. But either way, it is possible with God. What is impossible mm-hmm. with man is possible with God. Alex, go ahead. Well, yeah, and the main point of that, and I, I've read many commentaries speculating, uh, but a camel represented great wealth. Uh, rich people had camels, and for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, like a sewing needle, boy, that's nearly impossible. What I think what the Lord was trying to get across was wealthy people oftentimes trust in their wealth. They love their material goods, and to trust in God and to desire salvation more than material things, that's a hard leap for the human heart to make, isn't it, Bert? It is. When, on our trip to Jerusalem, our guide took us to that wall and showed us that uh, little bitty door. It was called, that was the name of it, the eye of the needle. And it made an impact on me. But like you said, you're not going to get in on your own merit. You're not going to get in on your own riches. You're on your own measuring stick. It, but with God, humbling yourself before him, he'll bring you in. Randy, thank you for listening. Thank you for your good question. Let's go to Georgia and talk to Pam. Pam, welcome. Hi, thank you. Um, I have a question for Alex. Um it's regarding salvation, and I guess primarily, is is it possible for someone to be saved and not be considered a disciple? You know, we hear, when I hear people presenting the gospel so often, it's just a, a simple verse like, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Um, it doesn't talk about um, dying to self or anything like that at the outset when it's presented. And yet, you know, when Jesus talks about if you're going to follow me, <clears throat> he talks about um, taking up your cross and so forth. So, for instance, the thief on the cross, he believed in Christ, but he did not, um, he did not have a life to show that he changed or to live out to show that there was any difference in his life. Um, so if somebody doesn't, mm-hmm. and if somebody doesn't show a difference in their life necessarily, but they say they believe in Christ, uh, is it possible for them to be saved? I know God, only God knows those who mm-hmm. are His. But do you um, know? Th- this is a great question. Uh, this is so wonderful, and in fact, Bert, um, this might be the most important topic we could talk about in all of exploring the Word. Because, let me say this, a, a disciple is at least one who believes on Jesus, but it should become more than merely believing in Jesus. Because um, a disciple means a consistent, obedient, learning follower. And you remember in Acts 11, the disciples were called Christians at Antioch, and it meant little Christs, because a, a Christian should be more and more like Jesus. Now, uh, 
I want to be clear because I think this discussion has gone on for a long time. 30 years ago, Bert, when I was a brand new believer, there was a controversy over something called lordship salvation. And one one very famous writer, he's passed away now, Zane, Holl- Zane Hodges, had a book on Simply Believe. And then John MacArthur wrote about the, the true gospel, you have to become a disciple. Um, let me ju- I'll just say this. Only God knows another person's heart, but merely reciting some words is not the same as taking up your cross to follow Jesus. Now, at the same time, while obeying the Lord and being Christ-like is vitally important, we want to be clear that salvation is not by good works. So, Bert, maybe this goes all the way back to the early church because, you know, John 6, 40, believe on Jesus and you will be saved. Uh, but then you read the letters of Paul and especially like James. And if that faith is not followed by a changed life, it says we're dead. So, Bert, um, being a believer and being a disciple, it, it really ought to be two sides of the same coin. It should it be should almost be. synonymous, shouldn't it? It should. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, it says, Go ye therefore and make disciples. That's what yeah. it says. Notice the word make disciples. That has the idea of starting and continuing. And uh, I, I'm Pam, you're exactly right. Only God knows. If I'd have been looking at Samson at most of his life, I'd said, no way in the world was he a man of faith. If I'd have looked at David at certain points in his life, I'd have said, no way. But God knows the heart. He looks on the heart. And and listen, here's the one that we can answer to, me. Bert Harper, mm-hmm. he's the one that starts and continues. I, I can't make anybody else do that. Because I'm going to stand before God one day, and I will give an account. And I want to be ready for that day, Alex. I want all Mm. the listeners to be ready as well, don't you? We certainly do. Folks, thank you for listening. You know, tomorrow's going to be Fire Away Friday. All questions for all of the hour. We hope you'll tune in. And, Bert, we always tell people, please share this with others. Tell people about exploring the Word. But even more importantly than that is what? Telling them about Jesus Christ.